says this. What's going on, everybody? My name is Azumi Hongos. I'm a photographer and web video producer. And in this podcast, there's a new reformatted podcast. I know I've been gone for a while. But we're going to be talking about technology, cameras, video making, the Internet of Things, and how it impacts you. Monday through Friday, I will be looking at articles, doing as much research as humanly possible, being done by one person, and then bringing the stories to you. So, of course, always do your own research, please. And if you'd like to have a discussion, and if you'd like to have a discussion with me over on Twitter, feel free to do so. I'm at Isaac Mihangos on Twitter. Um, and you can always find me on my website at IsaacMihangos.com slash blog. I'll always try to link the articles that I read and the videos that I mention here in the blog post. So make sure to check that out. And some of the stories we're going to be talking about this week on the podcast is Gary Fong Dong seeing, saying, beware that the, there's counterfeits here on Amazon. Uh, we're going to be talking about Samsung's flagship new phones. Um, and it's just Samsung's week. I'm just going to say that from the very start. Next, one of the stories that I didn't see too much coverage of, which is the Lambda schools and the f- high cost of these free coding boot camps. <clears throat> Next, being able to store your photos for a thousand years on a piece of glass. We're really in the future. And of course, my thoughts on Flickr and how it has the potential to still survive in the new decade because we all know what Flickr is. We're all photographers here, hopefully, um, or video makers. And we all know what Flickr is. And of course, did Canon finally decide to wake up and create a great mirrorless camera? I'm rooting for you, Canon, but I'm not even crossing my fingers because I know you're going to find a way to butcher this this camera. Okay, let's get started. Of course, always do your own research so you can be as best informed and you can make up your own opinion. So uh, if you don't know what Gar- the Gary Fong Dong is, it, no, it's not an inappropriate toy. <laughs> I know it's like, the, it's a, you know, I laughed at it too. It's basically a diffuser uh, whenever you, you're, you're a photographer, right? You need to bounce something off. You don't have a uh, you don't have a roof to bounce something off. This was sort of the solution. I personally never used one, but in the article, excuse me. Uh, basically, the CEO himself has been getting some complaints saying that you know it doesn't work as well. You know it's falling off. So Mr. Gary Fong Dong here. Uh, decided to buy his own on Amazon. And what he realized was that there's a lot of counterfeits being sold. Um, And if you look at the article, the first thing that you notice is the packaging. The packaging is not as well produced as it should be. Now he has his own, an authentic one, and he compares the photos in the back. So the photo in the back, first and foremost, you can clearly tell that it's really poorly exposed it's not as well done. It's a little bit pixely. Well, if I'm looking at it here through the computer, it looks a bit pixely. And, you know, that's easy to miss, right? Like, if you're like a brand new photographer, you buy this, you decide to test it out, you probably wouldn't look at the packaging so much. But then as he further goes along, he compares the way that it looks and the way that it feels. The Gary Fondong, an authentic one, should be a perfect circle. The counterfeit is not a perfect circle. But what he also noticed is is, is that uh, it's not it's sturdy. So I guess that's why people had it falling off, right? 
it's not as sturdy. I should say on there perfectly. Uh, the counterfeit is also very, very white. Like it looks like a plastic cup. Uh, an authentic one apparently should be a little bit more transparent. And lastly, the biggest thing that he notices was the fonts. Now, if you've ever see, gone to the flea market, you've probably seen this font and the way that it looks. I know I personally have gone to the flea markets and I don't know what's up with their printers, but it's always the same font, right? It, it just looks very pixelated. You, you're probably thinking to yourself, hmm, if you bought this on Amazon, oh, it's probably like a slight manufacturing error because, you know, they're allowed to have like a certain degree of uh, misfire on there. But it's a lot of, you know, a lot of infrequencies and Gary Fong, this is the dude that made it, right? Like he's saying, well, this is not up to standards. This is not a good product on here. They're selling a lot of counterfeits. Uh, and there's a quote that I found really interesting throughout here in the way that Amazon works, right? So, quote, third-party sellers sign up to shill stuff through Amazon's order fulfillment service, end quote. Uh, the consumerist writes, and then, quote, all those products often get pulled together by barcode regardless of whether they come from brands themselves or the distributors. That way Amazon can grab whichever product, whichever product that, that's ordered at the nearest warehouse to the customer. So basically, uh, they're not even by barcode. So you can just like put a brick in there and like just make sure it's the correct barcode and it'll be like shipped correctly. Um, now, the reason I picked out this story is because, again, this is the CEO checking the product to make sure that it's up to standard, which it clearly isn't. It's a subpar product and Amazon is getting so big. It's like the YouTube problem, right? Like there's so much stuff being thrown in at this one company that it's hard to, you know, checks and balances. Um, and is this gonna keep on happening? Now to my own story, I bought a camera. I bought two cameras. Well, is it, I, I didn't really buy two cameras. I brought one camera, right? I decided to buy one camera um, and it wasn't up to standards. There were certain things that were wrong with it. So I returned it. I got a new one, ran into the same issues. Um, and then I decided to, you know, purchase from an actual niche photography company like BNH or Adorama or whatever you decide to shop, right? And the moment that I got the one from, and from like a niche photography company, I realized one thing that the first thing that happened when I opened that was that it prompted me to the date and time. And this is not what I was getting with the Amazon packages. So, you know, adding two plus two here, was Amazon selling me a product that had already been used by a customer and marking it as new? Or was like a, a warehouser selling it as new even though it was used because like it's like when you boot up like your computer right the first thing that it should have it should be put on there is the date and time right it's pretty standard but I didn't catch it until the end and this brings me to saying that I'm probably not gonna be buying from Amazon like these super expensive products if this is the way that it's handled you know again the YouTube problem too much stuff being thrown in to one co one company and they're not able to clear it. With the Gary Fondong story as well, there's a giant inspected uh, and repackaged on there. So he, he clearly got a used one, right? But if it's inspected, 
clearly not everyone's a photographer or a niche, you know, person or like uh, someone that's really into chess or anything. So how will they, how would they know, right? Um, so that's the first thing. Like I'm not, I don't plan on buying it, especially like with products of this price. And then another question came to my mind, like, are we getting like really annoyed with super fast shipping? That sounds like a weird question, right? Because everyone wants stuff as fast as possible. But I read an article that says that 70% of people return their items when they're bought online. And people becoming more aware of these environmental issues probably want to not create such a big carbon footprint. Does this mean that now we're wanting to go to more niche websites? Because I'm feeling that. Like, I'm going to go to a niche website because... They're clearly going to give me a good product. If I have any questions, they're going to be able to answer them. And I hope that I don't run into these issues where I'm forced to return them all the time because that's what I'm experiencing with Amazon. Also, uh, like there's just going to be more and more counterfeiting because Amazon is the biggest player. And if they're the biggest player, you should be on there. And, you know, in the new Internet of Things, like at what point does a company become... A monopoly like we have we started defining that and i don't mean internet service providers i mean like like a facebook or like a youtube or like an amazon like these companies to me seem so massive but we still haven't clearly defined what a monopoly is based on an internet service right whether it be social media whether that be you know a content platform like youtube or like an e-commerce bit like Amazon is massive. They put people out of business all the time. And like, at what point is this just a monopoly, right? Um, I'd love to hear it. Maybe you're an economist. Maybe you study this. Maybe you're a master's student. But to me, it's like, you know, there's all these variables that now we have to account for. The environmental questions, the niche questions. You know, I'm just a photographer. I make videos, so I want the product to be as good. And I don't have to return it. Because, hey, that, that slows down production and we can't be doing that. Um, but I, ju- I just wanted to bring that up because, again, is this sort of the start of it? You know, the, uh, only the decade will tell. Now let's talk about Samsung. They absolutely crushed it this week. It's their week. It's their time to shine. And we clearly have to talk about Samsung's new lineup. First and foremost, let's talk about that price tag. $1,400. Insane. Samsung definitely wanted to put the nail on the coffin on $1,000 flagship phones. $1,400, guys. Apple, what are you going to do? $1,800? Like, oh, man. Uh, That's ridiculous. Uh, It went from Samsung S10 to S20. Uh, Apparently, that's to signify the new decade. I guess they just like to skip numbers sometimes. You know know what I'm saying? Um, And I get what they're trying to do, right? We're going to be going over some of the specs, but we're mostly going to be focusing on the video. I mean, on the on the cameras, right? Give me a second to drink some water here. Um, so the big thing, no more headphone jack. Rest in peace, headphone jack. And I guess this is, I mean, I don't really miss a headphone jack as, as much as I thought I would. It's easier to say that on like a mobile phone because of Bluetooth, but there's still like a huge latency between like, like a MacBook and like a Bluetooth, you know, like, like it's 
like if you took it away from the laptop, that's a whole new outrage, the whole different discussion, right? Uh, I, I, I generally don't miss that. Battery life increased to 5,000 milliamps. Samsung also made the phone a little bit thicker. Uh, 5,000 milliamps because 130 gigahertz display. Crazy, of course, not out of the box. It's 60 gigahertz out of the box, I believe, or 90. But you, you basically got to bump it up in settings. And thicker phone. Oh, my God. Samsung, thank you for taking the risk on this one. You heard us. We don't all need razor-thin phones. And that's one thing that I really admire about Samsung. They're taking the risk and they're listening to the customer. Um, and to me, that's those are the important things. Um, I'm not a super big fan of 120 gigahertz right now. I Maybe because I, you know, I've seen it on the iPads, but uh, I, 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 it's not for me. Like, I don't really mind 60 gigahertz. Uh, now let's move on to the cameras. The first thing that I noticed is a massive camera bump. On top of that, 108 megapixels. Uh, is this the start of a new megapixel war? If you remember 2014 to 2017, it was all about the megapixels. Now, is this history repeating itself? Probably, yeah, most likely. Uh, but it's probably going to be better with the new optics, the new software. And let's get right into the lenses. A 12 megapixel f2.2 ultra wide lens, 108 megapixel wide angle f1.8. Oof, gotta love that 100. On top of being 108 megapixels, f1.8, that's awesome. Like, man, if you told us this like 10 years ago, we would have thought you were crazy. Uh, and then a 48 megapixel telephoto camera with space zoom. Honestly, that's a really cool name. Whoever came up with that name needs to raise. Um, and the zoom is 10 times zoom uh, just based on hardware and then 10 based on the software. So that's 100 zoom. I really don't know who's going to be using that. Like, are you a bug photographer or something? Like, are you a bug's life or something? You're trying to create the film in IRL? And you're probably going to use it once and then put it away and then show it off every once in a while. But mm. And then what to me was the most interesting in software was nano binding. Now, according to Slasher, quote, nano binding, which effectively clusters nine pixels at the sensor level together and uses their combined data for a single pixel in the final image, end quote. So are we going to get better images? Is the quality going to be way better during the still? Are going to be able to grab more information from it? Most likely. Uh, I think my only concern here is that, you know, is Samsung going to try to do HDR with this? Are the photos going to look way too HDR-y? My hope is that, you know, you get enough data, but it just like not super overbumped with clarity and sharpness. Because, jeez, oh, please don't do that, Samsung. Uh, and I love the range of apertures too. Uh, to me, I think that the telephoto will be a little bit fun. Um, not as much as a use case as like, you know, like a wide lens, but it's still nice to have. Um, and also the concern is like, how big are these files, right? Like you, you're you probably going to want to get like 256 gigabyte phone for this one because the files are probably going to be pretty big, right? Um, and also like, what is the use case for these lenses, um, I think one of the better examples, like the, the zoom seems like so niche, like, I don't know who would use it. Maybe you're like a iPhone maker and like, a, not an iPhone maker, like a, 
smartphone filmmaker or something so you get all those ranges which is really nice but samsung has never really been known to push the video and that that seems kind of weird right like i always hear about the stills never out the video iphones kind of got that you know locked in pretty well um but it seems so niche right like it's like the note like the like the note pen you know i hear of architects and construction workers using it and that's very niche right but how often are people going to be zooming in at a hundred like what do you need to do zoom to the moon or something make sure that we landed on the moon i don't know also the the quality of the images during that zoom i've seen a few of them not enough to give you like an like a like a good opinion right like huh is this going to be an unsalted potato um and the numbers right like the megapixel war is definitely going to be android versus android but to me like at the end of the day i'm super impressed with this like the design looks really pretty the megapixels hopefully are not just for looks but they they offer something good in terms of dynamic range the quality of the image the amount of data you're able to pull out and sort of all these you know variables that probably the normal person doesn't think about but if you're a photographer you really really think about it um and yeah like i hope it's not just for gimmicks i hope that they intended to do intended to bring us more data within the photo now that's just my personal opinion uh, i don't know maybe you have different requirements but to me it's all about making sure that you're able to you know get the most dynamic range out of the photo uh, and we'll see how the how it handles everything and hopefully someone will come up with some sort of creative way of using the 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 zoom cameras next let's move on to the lambda story lambda school and let me take a break all right so the lambda schools is something that i didn't feel like it got enough coverage and if you're on instagram you've probably seen all these ads uh to be quite honest i know i've gotten the ads and they have some really good advertisement. It looks very promising. But as I read this article, uh, it does seem kind of concerning. Uh, you know, to give you just some context, uh, it's basically a free CS boot camp that sort of allows you to postpone your tuition. Of course, that comes with like a giant asterisk. Um, and basically, you get the, the tuition, you get a nice job. And then afterwards, you pay, right? But this is sort of called an ISA, which basically means you just defer it, right? You're just like, okay, until I get the job. Uh, but some of the factors that you should know about it, and we'll sort of come back and talk about that later on, um, is that uh, I'm going to give you some of the sort of the information that I got from the article, which is that, quote, 70% of their income, of the student's income, once they start making 50K a year, is taken away. Or... Uh, until they or until they pay the 30k tuition uh is paid off you know like you pay it off and then you know end quote uh until you pay it off basically 17 percent is a lot especially if you're making you know 50k uh but we'll kind of come back to that later um and basically it's a nine month accelerated program that's supposed to give you you know access to some really great professors uh making sure you get highly skilled to be a software developer which is a a much needed profession nowadays and it's basically a very 
cheap education. Uh, like I said, the Lamb School has some really great advertisements, but we'll, what, we'll, what we will be going over throughout this is the experience of you know how the course was set up, the professors were, and the poor student experience. First, like a few of the students said that the professors she seemed to like be showing up to the first lesson and then you know they didn't show up and then like there was never like it never seemed consistent enough um in addition like one of the professors just admitted to being like being able to use the software tools for the first time this was mainly during the the ux courses which is like something you don't want to hear. Like you don't want to hear that someone's using the the masking tool for the very first time. And then, you know, when you talk about the professors, right? Like I kind of got lost through the article uh, because they they do talk about like team leads. So I guess these are like T, TAs, you know, like your teacher's assistant. They made like 13 an hour and they're supposed to help out one another. These are probably like the students that are a little bit more advanced. Um, and basically they're supposed to be like being able to guide the other students. And, you know, like I've been to college, you know, we all got the degree nowadays. Uh, and professors are super expensive to hire like six figures at minimum. Right. Of course, it's Silicon Valley. That's super easy money for the investors. Um, but the students said that it never felt like the, the courses had a pattern, uh, and we're constantly told to believe in the process, right? The instructions also changed like all the time. The curriculum advertised never seemed to fully match what they advertised. It was like false advertising. A lot of the homework assignments didn't even match up. And, you know, like, like it doesn't, that does not sound like school, right? It just seems so random. On top of that, a lot of the stuff that they were learning could easily be found on like free websites, you know, like, like Udemy or uh, like Daily UI. So all, they were paying essentially for free stuff. Um, also, the one thing that struck me, you know, CS isn't easy, right? Is that a lot of these students also quit their job, right? Like the school you know, told them that this was going to be able to make them a great job and promising all these things. So a lot of them took it very seriously, I guess. Um, but the school was also not certified by, by what is called California Bureau for Private Post-Secondary Education, which essentially authenticates the school, right? And one of the stories that I read was that this individual named Tyler Nasheed quit his job and then since there were so many bugs with the school is that it said that his form was incomplete, but it said when he saw it, he said it was complete. So this dude had like no money for six weeks. That's just, that's just horrible. Right. Um, and then essentially this kept on going for several students. Several of the students did not get like the best placement. Um, and basically a lot of bugs, right? And I think this happened because they were trying to just filter as many people in there as possible. And, you know, education is a very, like, difficult ting, ting, thing to scale. What are we in Toronto? Uh, 
it's very difficult, right? And I don't think I'm cutting slack to the CEO because, hey, the CEO said that they had a 100% hiring rate for their first cohort, right? And that cohort was a cohort of one, not 1,000, not 1 million, not, not even 10, like one zero. It was like one, one student, like one of one. Um, and you can, and you can see this in the article that he clearly knows that it's one individual that made it. Uh, second, let's, let's sort of backtrack to what an ISA, in my personal opinion, and, you know, like postponing like, um, dead. I don't think with this, I would do this. Like if you read it, like once you start making above 50 K, you know, software developers make like a hundred K. So that that's not that much. That's like 1,700 for two years. You know, like if you're working like you're making thir- like 40 K and you're bumped up to like 8,087 K, that's like, that doesn't seem like a bad deal. Right. But what happens if you're like, you get hired at 50 K and then they take away that seven, that, you know, like 17%, you're like at a much worse spot than you're landing on right like you're you're way off and you know i i get what they were trying to do right like secondary education like college is extremely expensive software developers are in high demand there's not enough fill um there's not enough training to fill all these roles you know that's why we have to bring in different talent from different countries uh, because the united states education system is not up to par but you know, like, the CEO is pretty bad, to be honest. Like, this is like the WeWork CEO all over again uh, with his crazy, like, it's, it's a state of consciousness, WeWork. But uh, it's just, like, clearly they knew what they were doing. And this is, like, maybe good intentions at the start, but the stories are just so crazy. Like, there's no, there's no format. Education is hard to scale. And, you know, people are being ripped off. People are having, you know, like midlife crises because they're just like being put in worse situations. And it's really, really difficult, you know, to to do something like this, right? So it was, to me, this was like, whoa, what just happened? TAs and, and circling back to the whole TAs, right? Like what, like I, don't, I, I got completely lost because our like, people that just got into this like the past cohort now being told to teach the new cohort like software isn't easy like you can't just like you know show up one day and become the best software developer ever in 24 hours right so i got really lost in that part because it made no sense like why would you give it to someone that's really inexperienced right that's like pretty common sense (sighs) but it to me it was like the most interesting story because of that because it, it seems so well advertised, right? Like you go onto their YouTube channel, it's all positive stuff and the comments are turned off. So that's, you know, if you've been on YouTube long enough, the moment you turn off the comments, it's just like, mm, should you really be turning off the comments? Um, and I love to dive more into this and sort of keep you guys updated on the story because apparently there, some students were let go of the ISAs, but not all of them. And, you know, it's a case-by-case basis, yada, 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 whatever they say. But it's just, like, it's just a really sad story, you know? Like, people are giving up their livelihoods. They're giving up, you know... Some of these students were, like, 
like a put in a really worse position after this they talk about being depressed and like the hardship of the school and how like certain tas told them to trust the process but it's it's just a story that i don't feel got covered enough and you know i hope it gets resolved in a better manner but it, it makes it harder to trust like other boot camps if you're intended to become a software developer right uh to be quite honest it feels like you should be going to like a cert like if you like a certified one by like an actual you know university you know it might cost you a lot more but at least you know that there are more they they're more well funded and stuff better accredited as well all right okay now we're moving on to the next story which is it's freaking crazy it doesn't even make sense so microsoft yes mr gates uh the one and only the company i don't think bill gates even owns that much of the company anymore i mean that's he owns a bunch of he'll go he probably owns a good chunk but basically uh the story is on petapixel uh Microsoft, quote, Microsoft's idea is to write da- data into a piece of glass using a laser that has pulses as brief of one, one gajillionth of a second. The laser uh, etches ultra-small voxels into the glass, and the laser strains the polarization results in voxels of different sizes and orientations. Many layers of voxels, voxels can be written into a piece of glass, allowing for larger amounts of data to be stored, end quote. And what I'm basically looking at here... It's like a really thin piece of glass. It's like, it's probably like the size of a tile, right? And it it looks, actually, it's like the size of a sensor. Basically, they write all the information on there. And you can store like 10K or like 100, yeah, 10K photos on there. It's like, and this really thin piece of glass is also 75 gigabytes. And there's like zero moving parts on top of that apparently it's super resilient uh to quote it quote the hard silica silica glass can stand boiling water baked in an oven microwaved flooded scored demagnetized and other environmental threats that can destroy priceless historic archives of cultural treasures if things go wrong end quote apparently the only thing that it can't handle is a drop on the floor (laughs) which is kind of sad like i mean you look at it you look at what it, what you're reading. You're like, holy moly, this thing could probably like withhold a nuclear bomb, right? I guess it can when you drop it from like five feet. Uh, but it, you know, being able to store seventy five gigabytes, you could essentially store like your will on this or like a message to the future, and it would withhold all that. Um, you know, like bury a time capsule and be like, come back to this place and time travel. You know. Would that would that even work? Uh, but it's it's really nutty. It doesn't even make sense to me because, you know, it's it's so thin, it's so transparent, it's so small, you know, Moore's law and all that, and you're able to store so much of it. I think the only downside of it is again it's glass. Um, but imagine the cover market for this one, like all the, all of like the otter boxes for this. I will say that. Um, it is very unique. I hope that it gets to market and it's V1 though. So I'm not going to buy it, but a hundred, uh, 10 K years. That's a long time guys. Um, I think it would make an abs- absolutely cool time capsule gift, but only time will tell. Um, now let's move on to Flickr. And this is a story that 
I've been wanting to talk about because Flickr is, you know, where everyone got started. Uh, if you were a photographer from like uh, 2013 to 20, uh, probably like 20, like 20, uh, 2013 to like 2016. That's when it was hot, right? Like, oof. And I'm pretty sure if you have an account, everybody got the, you know, like running out of money. We need you to subscribe to this. And, you know, it was really sad to read it because Flickr was like where you, where you went, you know? Like if you wanted to be cool, you uploaded to Flickr. And I think it has some really great features still, but they kicked off a lot of the people that were using it for free, which is like, come on guys, this is the internet. Like you kind of need that freemium model, right? And after I read the the, uh, the letter saying, you know, subscribe, we're doing our best, et cetera, et cetera. First, uh, I was like, okay, dang it, they're going down the drain. And a lot of us have our photos stored on there, right? And you can read the letter. There's like a lot of stuff that's going wrong with Flickr. But here's my take on it and, I, and how I think it could be fixed, right? Like Flickr has always been about the community of photographers. So I think that it really comes down to being able to connect those photographers, IRL, you know, becoming more of a meetup.com, but solely for photographers, uh, holding like large events, making sure that stuff... Uh, is run by them, sponsorships, uh, becoming sort of a storage cloud place as well because, you know, Instagram is taking over. But I, I even feel like Instagram is going down the drain too because ugh, too many algorithms and definitely TikTok is taking over, unfortunately. It I don't even get it anymore with, with TikTok. Like, you know, Byte came out and I was surprised that Byte didn't, do as well. Like I haven't heard anybody talk about Byte. Like Byte is made by the Vine people. And it's essentially the same thing as TikTok. But like it feels so weird. I, I, don't, I just don't think it's properly advertised Byte. Uh, okay, back to the Flickr. But essentially what Flickr has to do now is become a meeting place for photographers to meet up. Like that's all you really had to do. Sponsor people. Get people excited. to Get like build these little communities where you clearly know who your target market is and then sort of reverse engineer from there. Look, I sound like Gary Vee. But this is clearly a very well-thought-out market and you guys need to, like, combine yourselves with Anorama or B&H and be like, hey, you become a Flickr member, 99, 99, what is it? like? I think it was, like, 60 bucks. They even got cheaper. And then you get these exclusive things and, you know, we'll, we'll have special content here if you pay for it. And, you know, we'll bring in, like, Chase Jarvis and uh, Brandon Stanton. And you get to talk to them. And you hold like, honestly, easier said than done, right? But you guys got to start somewhere. And the easiest thing to do is just host meetups. Like, that's all you really have to do. Um, and I want Flickr to succeed, right? I have a lot of my photos stored on there. And I think it's way better than Dropbox. Like, it, that's why I'm saying it's, like, it's so much easier than Dropbox. Dropbox is horrible. I hate Dropbox, man. Two gigabytes? Talk about stingy. Uh, yeah, but it's... it's Like, you want to cheer them on, right? But, like, come on, guys. Like, you cannot say it's not going to be free. And then expect people to pay you later on when you're begging us. Like, I feel really sad for it. Did Smug Mug just buy something that's dead in the water? I don't think it's dead. You know, you just got to pull an Aquaman and uh, kind of do that. But uh, back to my back to the stories. Um, 
We're going to be talking about the EOS R5. This is our final story for today. And, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to call it. They're going to butcher it some way. They're hundred percent going to butcher it in some way, shape or form. Uh, because it's Canon and, uh, they're known to do that. They're just like Canon, 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 oh, man. Okay. So let's, let's just talk about the specs. 45 megapixel sensor in body image stabilization. Finally, like we've, we've asked for that for a long time. 5D, 5D4 didn't have it. 6D Mark II didn't have it. Canon EOS R didn't have it. None of them have it. Uh, 45 megapixels, 20 frames per second, electronic burst, 8K at 30p, 45 megapixel sensor. Um, and let's see, uh, 120K, it's 120K. That is not, hopefully that does not happen yet. <laughs> 120p uh, during video. So this is looking awesome. This is looking like they're waking up. This looks like they listen to us. Uh, and apparently they didn't do IPS for the past like few years because there were some like technical errors that was going on with the engineering. Engineering isn't easy. So I can kind of understand that, but I guess it seems kind of odd to me that they waited this long to tell us that, you know, it's oh things aren't going well in the in the IBS department. IB IBIS in body image stabilization. Like yeah, y'all got y'all had to say that like three years ago, like, man, this is so tough. Like most of us would have understood like, Oh man, like, like they've always killed it. Like with the, with a lot of other things. So I understand you guys trying to perfect it. All you guys had to say, all Canon had to say was, Hey, like this is a lot harder to crack than we thought. And that's it. Like we're trying to perfect it, trying to do it. Um, so the thing is Canon, I know it's going to kill with the glass. It's going to kill it with the with the stills. Beautiful colors, everything. Let's just talk about video, guys. Sony, like I said before, y'all crushed it. You guys are the king of video right now. And that's because you guys offer what we need and what we ask for all the time. No compromises. You guys are not about, you know, you guys are okay with cannibalizing stuff from time to time. Like, you guys see the bigger picture in, in Canon. You know, 8K, 30P, will it overheat? First gen, will this overheat? Actually, this is like third gen because they've done like three mirrorless now, four. I, I lost count. But it's not first gen, right? And 8K, you know, the 1DX Mark II does 8K, but it's cropped. And you need two processors for that. But 8K, 30P, video mode. I'm going to call it now. I'm sorry, Canon. 8K with an 8 crop, 8K, <laughs> 8 times zoom. This is what I'm calling it right now. It's going to do some shh like that. Can't cause because of the algorithm. Uh, in-body image stabilization. Um, you know, combining this with the great IBS glass as well. I think it's going to be a killer combo. But what will happen, right? You know, you you hope, I hope to see it succeed. You know, and, and the rumors are that it's going to come out during July 2020. So this is a good timeline for this. I thought that it was going to be brought in during the Summer Olympics. Like probably like April would have been a good launch day because, you know, um, the, the sports photographers would probably need this. It just seems kind of odd to do it during July. 
unless the the Olympics start mid July. But how likely are these sports photographers likely to trust this camera? Twenty FPS is freaking nuts. Like what? Like it doesn't even seem real. The thing that is great though is that it has the same uh, batteries apparently as a Mark IV. Uh, so thank you, Canon, for not butchering that one. But again, what what are they gonna do? What is it gonna be? Four K? Is it gonna finally be full frame? Probably not. It's gonna be like two times crop, two times crop, Canon. Um, and yeah, so my guess for this one is my, you know, I don't think they're going to continue with the Mark, Mark, the 5D series, sadly. Uh, I just, you know, I've always been a fan of the series, um, but I don't think they're going to continue that. Like, that's all that becomes my question, right? Like, is this the new replacement for the 5D series? It could be, it could not be, but I... To me, it's like, maybe, maybe not. And, yeah, there's there's definitely going to be some sort of compromise here because they're not going to butcher their cinema cameras, right? Because you got to protect the cinema cameras at all costs. Uh, and, yeah, to, it also feels like this is their time to shine. This is what, like, if you don't nail this on the head, oh, like, you're just going to see, like, Sony stock spike. Um and yeah so i think those are all the stories for today and let me know what you guys thought hopefully this new format is a little bit better uh hopefully i didn't go on too many tangents <laughs> uh but i think that's it for now uh hopefully i i'm gonna keep my eyes peeled on this lamb the school story because it's pretty sad to be honest like a lot of people gave up their stuff gave up their jobs to become software developers and make sure that things go a lot better, you know, because software developers are in high demand. Um, and yeah, I'm going to keep my eyes out peeled for this EOS R5 as well. And just and just hope Canon doesn't butcher it. You know, oh man, they're going to butcher it some way. I just, I just know it. But that's it for right now. Let me know what your thoughts were, what you liked. Um, and that's it. I thank you so much for your time and your attention. My name is Isaac Mihangos, and I'll catch you in the next one.